Listen to the gospel reading for this morning. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him about whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks to be God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word and for the opportunity to share it this morning. Help us to hear your word of love and grace for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What? (laughs) I've got a narrow camera angle and it doesn't move. Um... The story about Philip and Nathaniel, um, in coordination with a conversation that we had about about Philip telling Nathaniel to come and see, and then convincing Nathaniel to become a follower of Jesus by coming and seeing what Jesus was up to, um, brought out a it brought out a difficult and challenge. It brought out a challenge for me. Um, I'm going to say something that would probably get me fired if I was a pastor in the churches I grew up in. I have never convinced anybody to accept Jesus. I have never in my life, to the best of my memory, sat down with anyone and read them the Romans Road or Four Spiritual Laws or whatever it is and had them pray and invite Jesus into their heart. Not once. And it's felt like a failure of faith. Actually, somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, has there ever been a time when your faith has drawn others to Christ? And I couldn't think of a time, at least not that I'm aware of, not the way I was taught about it growing up. Um, we talked a lot about the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Um, I memorized that verse at Vacation Bible School and probably a bunch of other places. Um, they said, this is the Great Commission, but uh, people today, it's more like the Great Omission, because people aren't doing that. And it's comfortable, in a way, to be in a tradition, the Presbyterian Church, that doesn't really, like, yell at you if you are not much of an evangelist. Um, I still remember sometime when... I, I was somewhere between 8 and 12, and the pastor's son came out and told us he had just led this 5-year-old kid to Christ, and I felt bad. He was right there, and the person who helped him pray the sinner's prayer could have been me, but no, it was the pastor's son, who was a couple years older. 
If you don't know it, it's uh, basically a repeat after me prayer that Baptists, mostly Baptists, teach people to say that that makes them a Christian. It's it's like the Christian version of uh, you know what the first pillar of Islam when you when you say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is His prophet, and you say that and you're Muslim. Well, if you say the sinner's prayer, you're a Christian. You you do have to mean it though. I've never been able to pull off getting a single person to pray that. So far, my evangelistic efforts keep getting foiled by the fact that either people have very good reasons for not being a Christian that I can respect, or by the fact that they're already Christians. I've hated the E-word, evangelism, for a long time because it's always felt like a word of judgment against me personally. It made me feel inferior. It meant selling, and for me to sell something means I have to believe that it will do somebody more good than doing nothing will. I never believed in Jesus in a way that I could sell Jesus to someone who wasn't already a Christian. Well, that's not true. I, I did once, and at that point in my life is pretty much over, and I'm pretty sure I was fairly insufferable at the time. Uh, my brother wrote a story about our family around that time, and there were different names, and the character that was a spin-off of me was, well, he sounded insufferable. But the thing is, and this is what this sermon is about, despite the fact that I've never convinced anybody to accept Jesus, Jesus loves me anyway. <laughs> I saw that on the sign at the Congregational Church, that we're beloved. God calls to us and says beloved. That was from the that was from uh, last week's lectionary text because we nudged Epiphany but it was a, normally Baptism of Christ Sunday. But that's it. We're beloved anyway. Whatever that thing that we think that we're supposed to do that will make us the kind of Christians we think that we're supposed to be you know that mashup of all the holiest people we know it's wrong wrong. Whatever spiritual practices or gifts you think you're supposed to have, God loves you. God gave you the gifts you have, and God loves you anyway. For a long time, I've worried about the fact that I don't have a daily time of reading scripture and praying. I've worried that means that I'm a bad Christian. I'm not. I just have ADHD. You know, if you've seen those things on social media or wherever, do this one thing that will make it, do this one thing every day and it will make you successful or whatever. And I go, well, I guess I'm destined not to succeed because, you know, there's not a whole lot of things that I can consistently do every single day that aren't like I go to work because, you know, that's part of my job. I brush my teeth because they'll rot if I don't. Um, not one, not twice, but don't floss. So far, that's been enough. I do the dishes because if they don't, if I don't do them, I'll pile up. You know, some people might say, "Well, I don't even know what that was trying to say." Um, oh, right, no benefits, or no, not benefits, but consequences. You know, it's more like consequences. And some people might say, "Well, there are consequences to your spiritual life," and that's probably true. I might be a calmer person if I spend some time in scripture every day, and I'd also be a more physically fit person if I did a workout every day, but here we are. I'm using everything I can to 
take care of all the energy to take care of the kids and just get the dishes done. And that's okay. I can't even tell you how many times I've tried to start doing stuff every day. For some people, maybe it's reading your Bible every day, praying regularly. Whatever it is that you think a spiritual person would do or be or feel, but you just can't make yourself do it. For me, evangelism, trying to get people who aren't Christians to become Christians, is absolutely one of those things. You can let that go. You're free. Jesus loves you anyway. Maybe there are some practices that can help you. Maybe praying more would do us all good. Maybe thoughtful, meditative engagement with scripture would help us to grow. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to think about what our faith would about what about our faith would help somebody else and do that thing. But that doesn't mean you're an inferior Christian. When I went to the Credo conference last year, one of the things they had us do was take a spiritual profile. Uh, and then we plotted where we came out on a graph. Uh, then we wrote our name up where it was on a big paper. And it had two axes. It was the mystery spiritual uh, versus factual religious. And then your interior contemplative to exterior active. And this was a group, not just of Christians, but a group of pastors. We were all over the place on this graph. There were only two of us in what I called the northeast quadrant where I was. But having that chart felt so validating, like the fact that I feel more aware of God when I'm engaging in inward reflection instead of during a service-related activity like a lot of my peers did. I felt vaguely guilty that it wasn't a service activity, and a whole bunch of my peers said it made them feel closer to God, but it was so freeing to realize that we're not called to all do the same thing. We don't all connect to God in the same ways. I think I've said this before, when I told my Committee on Preparation for Ministry that um, really the only consistent spiritual practice I had when I was in seminary was Sabbath, they were really excited about that, and maybe that's just a sign that uh, that wasn't something that they were good at. It was so freeing to realize that we're not all called to the same thing. We don't all connect with God in the same ways. If, somebody's, if somebody else is doing some spiritual activity that doesn't connect for you, or if you've tried it but you can't make it work or do it consistently, it doesn't mean that you're not a good Christian or you're inferior in some way if you're not doing that. It just means that's not a great means for you to connect with God, at least now. I have to emphasize the now part because we go through different seasons in our lives. May prayers and devotions aren't daily by any stretch, but I have times when I do them more and times when I do them less. And that's okay. Doesn't mean God loves me less. And like churches too. You know, we, we do that to ourselves, but we also do that to ourselves in groups as churches. I saw an article recently that said that churches shouldn't set goals for the new year. Should not. And I think many of us has fallen in church leadership into the trap of thinking that we should be doing this, that, or the other thing, or the trap of reading these books written by people who've lucked their way into successful churches and thinking that maybe we should start doing the things they're doing because they seem to be working for them, or maybe we should hire a consultant or do a mission study or whatever the trend of the given year is. If we were just doing this program or just doing that program, then our church would grow. Then we would be the kind of church 
that everybody else told us we would be. Everybody told us we were supposed to be. No. We're the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are called to love God and our neighbor. But to loop back to that evangelism thing that got this started, I don't think I've everybody I don't think I have ever convinced anybody to pray and accept Jesus, and I'm okay with that. I'm working on being okay with that. But what I have done over the years, and I know this because people have told me, is that I've encouraged people. I've published blog posts about doubt and questioning, and I've had those conversations, and I think it helps when you have questions and you find somebody else who's asking these questions or has asked them and has decided to still be a Christian. I think I've encouraged a lot of people's faith and helped them to know God loves them, that they can be beloved children of God even with doubts and fears and uncertainty and without being perfect people who have their lives together. The Hebrew word hasatan is where we get the English word Satan. It means the accuser. And I think I've let the accuser hide that gift of encouragement and support from me because evangelism isn't my gift. And I let the accuser make it be all about what I'm not doing, what, what fails almost physically incapable of doing, instead of what I'm called to do. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I know other people have, have been encouragement for me, so I need to pay attention to that and maybe allow, allow myself to see the gift that I have the way that I see the gift that other people who've encouraged me have. Some of the most influential people in my faith aren't the person who originally led me to Christ. I prayed to ask Jesus to come and live in my heart while I was listening to a radio preacher when I was seven years old, and what a wild ride Jesus has had in there since. But I hardly ever think about him. Who I think about are the people God has used to carry me along, to keep me in the faith. There was a woman on the radio when I was doubting whether I had meant it hard enough when I was seven. Um, there was Greg Boyd when I thought that God had told Israel to commit genocide and was deeply troubled by that. A preacher named Jonathan Martin back in the summer of 2012 when I thought the church had sold its soul to the devil over a fight about Chick-fil-A. So. If you find yourself looking jealously at other people's spiritual gifts and wishing you had them, if you find yourself looking jealously at other people's spiritual practices and wishing you had the willpower to do them, just stop. Stop and see what God has given you, whatever it is, and be thankful because gratitude is the deadly enemy of fearful enemy, or fearful envy. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gifts that you've given all of us. Not the same gifts, but different gifts. All of them for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Help us to appreciate the gifts that you've given us and to not allow the fact that we don't have other people's gifts to bring us to discouragement. Help us to enjoy and give thanks for the gifts you've given us and the gifts you've given others without envy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.